electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we are all over the late-day sell-off on Wall Street. Stocks plunging into the close. So what is next for your money? We're breaking that down straight ahead. Plus, shares of Lyft hitting the skids as COVID fears return. We'll speak to the company's chairman and president, John Zimmer, about the real risk of the Omicron variant. And later, would or would not, we're diving into the world of Kathy Wood to see which of her top picks or traders would bet on. But we start off with that major market reversal. A late-day sell-off sending stocks into the red. The S&P giving up a 1.9% gain to close the day down 1.2%. The Dow swinging nearly 1,000 points from peak to trough, and the VIX crossing above 30 for the first time since March. All this as news broke out that the new COVID variant is, in fact, here in the United States. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the very latest developments. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, we've heard from press conferences in California, the state and in San Francisco, about that first case that was confirmed there. This was in a traveler who returned from South Africa November 22nd, tested positive on November 29th. Uh, This person was fully vaccinated. We heard they received the Moderna vaccine, uh, but they were not yet six months out from their second shot, so weren't yet eligible for a booster and hadn't had one. Uh, We learned they had mild symptoms and they've recovered. Uh, Contact tracing has been done. Uh, They've said that all the close contacts have tested negative as of this point. Now, the United States is now the two dozenth country to have a case of Omicron. Public health officials saying this is not surprising that we've found this now here. Uh, We will likely see more cases, but the word from officials is really Uh, Not that anything needs to change. We should just adhere to the current public health guidance of getting vaccinated, boosted, wearing masks when appropriate. We are hearing, though, from the CDC that um, and from Dr. Fauci, it's stepping up its surveillance. Dr. Fauci saying the U.S. is likely to require a negative test result within 24 hours of international travel into the United States. That's down from three days now. We also learned from the CDC that it's ordered the airlines to share information on passengers who've recently traveled within eight Southern Africa countries before boarding their flight to the U.S. All of this to try to keep tabs on Omicron uh, and track it if it does come here in bigger numbers. Mel? All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. So now that there is a confirmed case here in the United States, Guy, it it makes it all a little bit more real. And then you add to that, of course, uh, the Jerome Powell factor. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it was sort of a foregone conclusion. I'm not trying to be glib. I I think everybody sort of realized at some point it was going to make its way here. So I was surprised that the announcement did to the market what it did. Um, Look, I was pretty I I was I was pretty optimistic yesterday in terms of the market. And for a few hours today, that looked to be the right way to be. This reversal is meaningful, though. I mean, you can't discount it when technicians see reversals of this magnitude on this kind of volume. They will take note. You talked about it. A thousand point swing in the Dow. 100-point swing in the S&P 500, and the IWM, something that I've tried to be focused on, you know, at critical support levels here at 213. So everything is a bit lining up. Tim's talked about this correctly. I think everybody's going to start talking about it now. 
you know, 210 spreads meaningly, meaningfully below 100 basis points is something the market participants talk about. And Dan talks about this as well. These big uh, valuation names are giving it up in a major way. When you start to see things like that, it's just a matter of time before the broader market follows suit. Yeah, I mean, zoom out, Dan, for us and, and take us back to, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, because right now we're at lower lows. And so, you know, when you take a look at the pattern of the markets over the past few days, not just today, not just yesterday, what do you make of this action? Yeah, well, the markets crashed, Mel. If you think about, like, just the participation of most of the names in the S&P 500, I think we quoted it last night, there was, like, 50% of the S&P 500 were down more than 10%. That number has, uh, like, grown dramatically in the last day or so. And so I'll just say this. Today could have been so much worse. If you look at Microsoft and Apple that make up over $5 trillion in market cap, they were both basically unchanged on the day. They are 12% of the S&P 500, and they're 22% of the NASDAQ 100. And that is probably the next shoe to drop, that those names all go south in the same way. Alphabet was down less than 1% today. So if you th- that'll be like the kind of final confirmation. The S&P now is down about 5% from its recent highs. I think the Delta peak to trough decline was about 6%. Guy says it all the time. Investors have learned how to deal with this sort of stuff. This is not going to be another pandemic. It's going to just be another wave here. And we've learned so much. And we have over 70% of our population that is inoculated. So it's not going to likely be a very serious thing. And I'll just say this. It's probably going to be an opportunity for those to buy the things that they want. And some are beaten up 40, 50, 60% on some of those story stocks. But I think you probably want to wait a little bit more for those massive concentrated mega cap names because they really haven't shown any fear yet. And and we have lived through other bouts of uncertainty, certainly around Delta, for instance. But at the same time, the markets have come so far since then. And so the context of this uncertainty, plus Jerome Powell, in, in terms of the uncertainty he lays out with interest rate hikes, Karen, It is a little bit different, and I hate that expression, absolutely hate it, but it is a little bit different this time around just because of the timing of it and the backdrop. Right. I think that that the, you know, the case found here, which, as Guy said, is a surprise to absolutely no one that it would be found here, is kind of an excuse to continue selling on the Powell News, which is really the bigger news, I think. That's been the underpinning for this bull market. For a really long time and you know so if we could have gotten away with the whole Powell you know uh, expediting the tightening with only that you know mildish loss that would have been pretty amazing this thousand point swing that's still not a huge amount of damage for a very significant change from the Fed right he's they've done a very good job of telegraphing that they were going to do this but now that it's actually seems to be happening and there was no backtracking. So to me, that's the more important thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of how I, I, I like days like today. I didn't buy anything today. I felt in the morning like, ah, well, you know, now I missed it. And then as it started to pick up speed <coughs> to the downside, I thought, all right, really make a list. What do I want to own? Is there a chance to buy stuff? Well, and I think, yes, there is. So um, I want to be buying things tomorrow. I know it may not be the bottom, but uh, I want to be buying things. So like a, what? I think, though, that these high, like a bank stock that, you know, it's been terrible. The 210 is to talk about what Tim's saying. Terrible. Yeah. But at some point, there's value there. And as we get out of this is high flyer multiple ones, we see, you know, we talk about the IGV a lot. That came in a lot today because the, if the Fed really is tightening, this high flyer, it's just the math. They can't support yeah. multiples of infinity when, you know, when rates are higher. 
So I want to buy the low multiple names. The, the uh, Big Cap Pharma, also low multiple names, did well today. A name like a CVS or something like that. Uh, a Viacom, which seems to be, uh, I don't know, at death's door every day and then goes lower. <laughs> Very cheap. That's a name I would buy. So those are the kind of, you know, blood on the streets is definitely part mine today. No question. But I'm much more excited about buying things tomorrow than I have been in a little while. Yeah. Karen, I mentioned the spread. And if you think, if you think the twos, tens came in a lot yesterday, look at today, Tim. I mean, so to, to Karen's point in terms of this being an excuse to continue, uh, you know, the movement put into place by Jerome Powell's hawkishness, that seems to be the evidence of that. Well, you, you have you have basically Omicom at the long end pushing down rates on the long end. You've mm -hmm. got Powell on the short end pushing up rates. And, and, and there you go. It's interesting. We can debate all we want. What's the bigger factor in the market? But it is clear the market really moved on that headline that we've all just said is something we all expected to get. So why did it move? But, um, you know, Powell's been with us consistently now for three days. And, and, and you know, on some level, the markets responded more to the encroachment of, uh, you know, fresh COVID headlines. Ones. Uh, I think you know, what everybody's saying is that, look, VIX at 33 getting you back to, or at least intraday, you, you were back to Jan of this year, VIX highs. You've had a dynamic where you've had a 5% pullback. We've all talked about the, the, the lack of breadth. And so when you look below the surface that you have, you have so many stocks 40 to 60% below their 52-week highs that are not even just story stocks. So uh, anyway, you, you have a dynamic here where um, I think we, we are in a place where think about Fed policy, think about how much policy was thrown at this uh, very early in COVID. And that's why, you know, people like JP Morgan, I remember we had Marco on in, you know, the, the fourth week, third week in March and, and ultimately somewhere near the bottom saying, hey, um, such extraordinary policy follow through. There's no policy left really. That may be what's going on here. I think what has to be in the back of people's minds as well is December 2018, when, when the Fed was uh, seemingly too far ahead of the curve. I know it sounds crazy, but when, you know, essentially the market went down 20 percent because the Fed was more aggressive than, than they should have been at the time. And now we have a Fed that seems, no matter what, um, they're predisposed to something just as yesterday, or really four days ago, they were predisposed to something no matter what. And that's, I think, what's starting to concern the market, even though the headlines today were Omicom, were COVID variants, and that's what took down the market. But I think Karen's pointing out the Powell problem. It's the Powell problem. Yeah, um, let's get more about this uh, Powell problem and the impact on the markets. Much more on this market reversal and bring in our next guest, Adam Parker of Trivariat uh, Capital. He's the CEO there. Adam, great to have you with us. Good to see you. How are you? Uh, good. And of course, our viewers will recognize you as the former uh, chief U.S. equity strategist over at Morgan Stanley. So congrats on your new gig. Um, what's your take on what's gone on in the market so far and, and in particular what we've seen today? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys are touching on some of the issues. You know, it's about the uh, path for interest rates and the Fed, and it's about uh, the virus. I, I, you know, I remain pretty optimistic about U.S. equities if people have any longer-term perspective, because I think corporate earnings will be higher next year, and I think ultimately that's what matters. I, I was hearing you talk about some of the tech companies. As a small business owner, I think to myself, all right, well, I pay Microsoft Azure to do my compute and storage. I pay them no matter what happens. Uh, I pay Salesforce to communicate with my customers. I pay them no matter what happens. I pay United Health, no matter what happens. So there's a lot of businesses where I don't think their earnings are going to get hurt by Omicron now and Pi next June and whatever happens after that. And 
you know, so, uh, you know, businesses can be resilient and have pricing power independent of a couple of day movements in the equity market. Okay, so um, what, what fascinated me, Adam, about your view is that the Fed is not going to be in this market. It's not going to be hiking for years at this point. And, and that's not what they seem to be telegraphing. So why do you think 2024, 2025 could be the first rate hike? You know, what I know for sure is that nobody knows. Okay. I worked for years at firms where everyone tried to call the Fed hockey rinks full of people at every major firm. And what you learned is they don't know anything. Okay. So <laughs> I would just start with the premise that, you know, all the experts on you have all the time, they're usually wrong and don't know because it's unknowable. Here's what I think we do know. The Fed are smart. They have access to great information. They can look at what's in the market. What's priced in is a five-year, five-year break-even for a long time, low to mid two. So, you know, maybe that's what people think the interest rates will look like five years from now. I think the Fed's focused on their dual mandate, right? Stable pricing, full employment. What have we seen? We've seen lumber down 50% in six weeks. We know that a lot of commodities are going to roll over. We know that the labor participation is weak and wages are going to be a question mark. So in the face of that, is the Fed going to move the front end a ton? I don't think so, or at least I think they're going to wait and see what happens in the middle of next year uh, before they start doing it. So I don't think tapering and you know expanding the balance sheet at a less rapid rate is really the same thing as raising the front end a ton. Um, and yeah, we have inflation. We all feel it, but uh, you know, personally and, and, and professionally. But I think you try to figure out where is the market pricing inflation more than others. There's plenty of investment opportunities related to that. And I don't necessarily think it makes the whole equity market go way lower over a sustained period. Adam, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Okay. Uh, just pushing back a little bit on this inflation. You know, we're at six yeah. percent, and I understand maybe some part of it goes down a little, but. We are so far outside of the 2%-ish, doesn't need to be exactly symmetrical, that I don't think the, the, the Fed has room to ignore inflation, so they have to raise. How do you get comfortable with there being inflation and no raising from the Fed until 23 or 4? I guess it just depends on what you think is structural versus cyclical. If you're thinking about what really changed that could cause inflation to be different, you probably have some deglobalization, right? Semiconductor companies that used to do all their packaging and testing in Asia are now going to do it in the U.S. You have some of that trend. And I think one thing you said I, I kind of would pick at, Karen, is like, do you really think all the stimulus is over on the fiscal side? Or maybe you just meant monetary. But to me, you probably have some rolling fiscal stimulus no matter what's going on, cyber, uh, alternative energy, and other areas. It won't be helicopter money like it was last year. So maybe those are the two inflationary forces that are different mark-to-market versus, say, 2019. But I still think you're looking at, you know, a long-term growth rate for the economy that's around two. I think you're going to see some cyclical downturns, you know, in areas that were, were, you know, hot. You know, lumber is probably the most recent example, but there's a lot of other areas like that. So I think the question is, when you get the commodity rollover and cyclical rollover next year in a lot of areas, and when you see the consumer starting to maybe, um, you know, find it a little harder to pay gas at the pump, when you see them they have record low delinquencies on their credit cards. We start seeing some of that raise a little bit. We'll see if the Fed feels like they should wait and wait for a little bit more, normal, more normalization. I, I don't know, but I, I sort of feel like whenever everyone thinks something's going to happen, they'll always end up being wrong. <laughs> well, if you are right when it comes to your, your forecast mm -hmm. for oil, Adam, the Fed might feel more of a need to move. I mean, you're seeing 150 to 200 bucks a barrel in the next 12 to 18 months. Can the economy possible. support yeah. that? I mean, you're just talking about the consumer. The consumer is paying 50% more on their gas bill than they were a year ago. And so if we go to 150 or 200, you know, that, that obviously is going to be a lot more pain. 
Yeah, look, I, I hope, you know, I try to keep it simple. You know, I, I look at this year, what, what we've done at Triveret Research, right? We're bullish on U.S. equities and our number one pick's been energy. You know, and so, yeah, there's weeks and days and hours and intraday reversals where those two calls didn't look good. But just plot, you know, the market and plot energy. Like, you know, energy is the best performing sector and the market's up a lot. Like, I think if you have any horizon, that'll still be the case going forward. For me, you know, I just look at energy and I think to myself, wow, I have this like triple crown of awesomeness, right? I have high price momentum, cheap valuation versus history, upward revisions, sentiment's awful. Everyone thinks the terminal value of oil is zero and I can't own it for ESG reasons. And if I look at what's priced in, probably oil 20, 30 bucks below where it trades now. And if I look at the risk reward, it's probably that oil has a better chance of being 50 bucks higher than it does 20, 30 bucks lower. So I like the stocks and I'll own them, you know, and I'll own the cheap ones with upper revisions for the next six, 12 months. I mean, I think that's, you know, my mentality if I look forward, but sure, when there's a risk off trade, oil goes lower, the 30 year goes lower. I mean, it's, we know what happens in a, in a short horizon when there's a risk off trade, but I, I kind of agree with the sentiment of adding um, to the to, to to markets when you get you know an indiscriminate sell-off and look I, I think what your average investor doesn't totally understand is there's lots and lots of money that are run in pods where the analyst job is to generate a net you know net market zero four percent alpha per year and it's run at like a thousand gross so when people get nervous you get just a degrossing that happens and that causes a, a, a you know an exacerbated sell-off at times like this and so you see that. And then when it reverses, the, the money piles back in. So I, I don't necessarily want to panic on a, on a short-term sell-off, personally. All right. Adam, great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, always good to see you guys. Take care. Adam Parker of Trivariate. Guy Dami, what do you make of his trades? I love Adam Parker. I mean, I, I, know I, you do. I, I love his work. What do I make of the trade? It's interesting. <laughs> what I would say is, you know, if he thinks oil is going higher. By the way, I did as well. I thought we'd see triple digit oil by the end of the year. It doesn't look likely, but... You know, if he thinks oil is going to move to that magnitude, I would submit by definition the Fed's going to have to do something because the one thing I think the administration is looking at are energy prices. But that's another story. I do like oil. I'm surprised that OIH got as low as it has gotten. I guess it makes sense given this meaningful sell-off we've seen in the underlying commodity. But I think oil is still a place you want to be, albeit very painful over the last two and a half weeks. All right. We've got an after-hours alert on Square, the company ripping a page out of Facebook's playbook with a name change. Square announcing just a short time ago it is changing its name to Block. The company is saying the new name, quote, creates room for further growth. The company is also rebranding its crypto venture, Square Crypto, to Spiral. The changes take effect next Friday. So I guess Block like Blockchain. Um, they've got a lot of different, different businesses under the uh, the umbrella of this new corporate name, Karen. I know you, you've liked Square in the past, though not the valuation necessarily. What do you make of this? Right. Well, I mean, we all know how committed Jack is to cryptocurrencies. The spiral part, I don't quite get. The block part, I get. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just sort of interesting. I don't know if there's some element of Square you think of as two-dimensional. A block is three-dimensional. If they're looking to go to another dimension, I don't really know. But I mean, those, the whole sector has come in a lot. I don't know if changing the name to Block will make any difference. I, I saw it was up like 1%, which is kind of funny. But, um, I mean, it's starting to get interesting because that stock, uh, that PayPal, that whole space, MasterCard, Visa, they're all getting crushed. Um, I, I'm sort of intrigued, not because it's named Block. 
<laughs> Dan, I mean, this is a, it's symbolic. It is symbolic, but it should, does show Jack's commitment to blockchain and all the things that blockchain can bring that company in terms of opportunity. Yeah, and I think we all know that. If we looked at his Twitter uh, profile, all it says is hashtag Bitcoin on there, even when he was the CEO <laughs> of Twitter, despite him loving Twitter very much, which was his last tweet uh, before he stepped down. I mean, here's the deal with Square. I mean, the stock has made no progress in a year. And when you think about expectations for 2022, EPS growth of maybe high single digits, sales growth, high single digits, trading about 100 times earnings, um, that's kind of challenging for a market right now. And listen, I want to say this. We're very fortunate. We just had the one expert that came on CNBC today that actually knows everything. And he just told us that he's constructive on equities. I would just say the one thing that we just didn't really talk about in that conversation was valuation. And that's what's happening right here. If growth expectations are coming down right now, then investors are revaluing some of these stocks that were priced for greater growth. And so to me, this is not particularly compelling, despite the fact it being at a very big technical level on a one-year basis down here at like 190 or so. All right, coming up, new fears over the Omicron variant sending a chill through the Lyft trade. That stock falling nearly 6% today. We'll break down what's really at risk with the company's co-founder and president, John Zimmer. He will join us exclusively ahead. But first, we got an earnings alert on Snowflake. Shares are ripping higher in the after hours. We'll break down the details when Fast Money returns. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Snowflake. Shares of the cloud company soaring after its report. Let's get to Julia Borson, who's been digging in on the numbers. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Snowflake shares are up about 12.5% after hours. This after the stock ended the market day down 8.5%. This stock spiking after revenue and revenue guidance both beat expectations. The company reporting $334 million in revenue versus the $306 million that analysts had anticipated. And the company's fourth quarter guidance for product revenue, that is the majority but not all of the total revenue number, is above the consensus range for the entire revenue estimate for the fourth quarter. Gross margins were also higher than expected in the third quarter. Snowflake saying that it saw momentum accelerate in the third quarter with particular strength in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region with 174% revenue growth there. And in Asia Pacific and Japan, their revenue was up 219%. 
He also noted that they've recently launched in three new countries. CEO Frank Slootman saying, quote, our vertical industry focus is an important evolution of our selling motion and Snowflake continues to see broad industry adoption. Slootman talking on the call just now about their launch of two new data clouds, one for financial services companies, saying that BlackRock, the NYAC and Western Union, among others, are all part of that. They also talked about the media data cloud that's for media and also advertising companies, saying it enables them to create their own new collaborative environments and noting that Disney is a partner there. Slootman saying their growth is driven by a diverse group of customers with 223 among the Fortune 500. Slootman said data has become the beating heart of the modern enterprise. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Tim, what do you make of this one? Data is the new oil. Um, and, and look, for, for Snowflake, which was down 30 so percent in nine or 10 trading sessions coming into this, um, you know, the, the, the momentum was certainly working against this, although uh, over the last couple of days, there were a couple of the analysts on the street that actually came out with some upgrades saying their channel checks said the same trends. So as they look to the fourth quarter pipeline, um, also the competitive environment uh, in, in some of this data analytics and cloud is, is uh, more benign than it was. And I think that's certainly helping the margin. They talk about being, uh, you know, where they are vertical and what that means in terms of margin. So um, I think the fact that the customer base is growing, that's uh, it's not just the sales number, but it's it's it is it's the size of the enterprise customer. It's the size of the contracts, uh, and that these guys seem very well positioned in a space, though that I think is very competitive. So valuation doesn't make a ton of sense. Obviously, doesn't make money, um, but the growth here is what you want to see on a stock like this. It is amazing the decline that it's seen in just the past two weeks, Dan, for the for the year. Um, it's been underperforming its peers as well as the overall markets in a very good year. Yeah, and I- yeah, I think it has to do with what Tim just said. I mean, it's trading at 50 times next year's mm-hmm. expected sales that are expected to grow over 50%. And listen, Slootman, he's the man. I mean, he presided over ServiceNow in the last decade, and that's a company that did ultimately end up growing into its valuation. It's a $120 billion market cap, and it trades about 16 times sales. So, you know, ultimately, it really is a valuation situation right now. It's great that their margins are doing better because if they weren't, I mean, it'd be down 50 bucks right now, just easily, right? So, um, you know, again, I think investors really have to contemplate expected growth versus higher valuations in what might be a higher rate environment, which really is a big impetus as far as revaluing some of these growth stories. Um, Guy, I'm just going to quickly go to Salesforce here because I know that's the one that you probably want to talk about. We we saw a pretty hefty decline here. But in, in the context of a Snowflake, I mean, Salesforce is a tenth of the price to sales of Snowflake. Right. But who has who has more potential for growth? Right. I mean, that's I think to me what the market is saying is, you know, Salesforce is now a very it's a mature company. Maybe the growth days are behind it. Maybe I'm not suggesting it is, but I think that's what the street is trying to figure out. To Tim's point, you know, Snowflake probably increased customers by 10 percent and operating margins that Dan just spoke to. I mean, they were expecting minus 7 percent came at plus two and a half percent. So obviously run into business more efficiently. You got to get your arms around 48 times revenue. I mean, that's really the number that I think people are coming to grips with. It's why you see these moves. I don't think you have to own the stock here. I think it's going to probably continue to be choppy. But to answer your question, um, yes, I think CRM is cheaper, but probably cheaper for a reason because their growth Mm. days are probably behind them. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Would or would not? That is the question. But should you be buying? 
the traders are diving into Kathy Wood's top picks. Plus, destination lift. The company's co-founder and president joining us next for an exclusive interview. So buckle up. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Lyft falling in today's session as the first case of Omicron is reported here in the U.S. The stock is down more than 22 percent this year, and as new COVID headlines continue to come in, how will the outlook for the rideshare space be affected? Joining us now for a Fast Money exclusive interview is Lyft co-founder and president John Zimmer. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have you seen any changes in, in how people are booking their rides or the pace at which they're booking? We have not seen any negative uh, data around rides related to the new variant. Uh, and in fact, we remain extremely confident in our outlook for Q4, uh, as well as going into next year, where we believe we'll have faster revenue growth uh, in 22 than we did in 21. So uh, no signs yet of any negative impacts. What are the sorts of um, precautions or, or lockdown measures that, you, that you'll hear that will make you think, you know, we could see a slowdown at that point? Is it going to be travel bans, even if it's international, because that limits airport business, restaurant uh, shutdowns or more, you know, requirements for masks and vac vaccinations at restaurants, what sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you named a lot of them. Uh, uh, talking about airport rides specific to Thanksgiving, uh, this year we saw twice as many rides as we saw last Thanksgiving. So there, I think there is still a, a general trend towards people coming back, uh, being safe. We now have the means to uh, you know, we're requiring masks uh, inside the car for driver and rider. Uh, more and more people are getting their vaccines. Uh, I think as we get more information about this variant, we'll have eyes open uh, around those measures you talked about. Uh, but so far, that hasn't shown up in the data. And so, John, last quarter, uh, Q3, when you guys reported, you know, there was a lot of really important things coming out of the pandemic. Um, you guys were onboarding more drivers. Uh, riders were coming back. The pricing was really stable. Um, is this something, again, I, you know, I just heard what you had to say about Omicron. I, I think we're going to be moving back. Are these sorts of trends that you expect to really build in 2022 going forward despite COVID? We do. Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm confident in both the outlook for Q4 as well as what we're going to uh, see in the full calendar year next year. Of course, there'll be uh, both, both reality and narratives that uh, shift things and create volatility in the, in, you know, on a week-by-week -week basis. Uh, but, but overall, people are, are coming back wanting to go out and finding safe ways to do so. Uh, so but we'll, we'll keep looking and, and listening to make sure we're doing everything possible to keep drivers and riders 
uh, safe. When you look at to next year, John, what are you anticipating? What are you forecasting in terms of um, the cost to bring on new drivers, the cost to keep them, uh, and your margins? Yeah, so when we look at drivers, actually, um, one of the metrics we shared on our last earnings call, if you look from January to September uh, over uh, th this year, uh, our drivers return five times faster than workers to the hospitality or retail sector. And so it's happening. You know, the pandemic did affect labor across many industries, uh, but we are seeing increasing uh, return of drivers. Uh, activation of drivers in Q3 was 60% uh, greater uh, year over year. And uh, those trends have continued in a positive way. So when, the, we, when you reported, I think it was November 2nd, we talked about it on the show. I thought it was a remarkable quarter for all the metrics you just talked about. It was a record quarter in terms of rider um, profitability and those types of metrics. I thought the stock was easily headed north of 60 bucks. I think a lot of analysts did as well. Here we are at $38, and quite frankly, the stock has been a disappointment since the spring. I'm not looking to play stock market here, but when you look at what you're doing and then look at the stock price, does it make sense to you? No. Uh, you know, I think it's a, a big opportunity uh, to, to, to get in right now uh, at, at the value. Um, we have, uh, before it was expected, we hit adjusted EBITDA profitability uh, in Q2. We, we grew that in Q3. In a market where we have 65% of the rides that we had uh, prior to the pandemic happening. So we just massively improved the unit economics and the cost structure of our business. And that leverage is going to get better and better uh, as we go, uh, as we scale up and as we come out of, of the pandemic. And I am, as I've said, you know, confident that both in Q4, uh, we're going to hit our outlook as well as next year, uh, have an even faster growing revenue year than we did this year. So it's, uh, we're, we're fired up about what we're doing. We're excited about the numbers we're putting up on the board. Uh, and we feel confident that uh, the stock will follow. It's hard to predict when. Uh, but we'll be patient and keep our heads down grinding away on, on the business. It's not often you get an executive saying that the stock price is too low. They often say no comment there, John. So we appreciate your, your yeah. openness and your honesty there. John, great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. John, John Zimmer of Lyft. Um, I don't know, Karen, would you agree? Would I agree that we don't get very often someone to come on and now say, yeah, it's a, it's a buy? Now would you agree that the stock is too low? It's I an do. opportunity it's here. It's interesting. <laughs> right. No, I, and I like him. And, I, and it's not like, it, you know, they don't, they aren't a wildly over-promise, under-deliver. I would say the opposite, right? So that is interesting to me. I think that um, I don't own Uber or Lyft. I've always preferred Lyft to Uber. But, I, I, I mean, they've done what they said they would do. That that deserves something. So I think it's interesting. I would probably be a buyer here, but I don't own it currently. Yeah. Tim, but it's, it's you know, with, with the uncertainty of Omicron and COVID in general, it's usually um, buy the rumor, sell the news, or in this case, sell the rumor and buy the news. So what do we do here? Look, we've seen this playbook at various times for the last two years, but certainly just punctuated by stock action from from the first round of COVID. So Omicron, you know, and there's going to be something to follow it. Um, these are buying opportunities. Lyft long term as a business. I mean, transportation as a service, um, rideshare isn't going anywhere. It's it's growing. Um, the, the fact that the unit economics got better and we've always said nothing like a good crisis to get a company to run better. And, and, and look, their their active users, uh, active riders were up 
about 51% year over year. We know, obviously, the getting to a normalized number is still um, some time away, but it's, it's a question of when, not if. And, and a better run business. Um, I think just it's the big debate on Lyft versus Uber, um, not whether transportation and, and rideshare as, as a service is something that people are going to continue to, to pile into. It's a question of what's the better business model. Um, and uh, Uber fans are going to tell you they want that super app dynamic, and they think this company is going to be a much bigger platform. Um, but Lyft is getting their business right, so that's impressive. Um, the stock is up by one and a half percent now in the after hour session. Uh, Dan, what do you like it here? Yeah, I do. And I'll just say this. You know, we were just talking about valuations. We were talking about some of these mega market caps. This has an eleven and a half billion dollar enterprise value. They have a ton of cash on their balance sheet. I think they're taking the steps to really focus on North American rideshare. And, you know, we didn't even get to this deal that they announced with Argo AI in Ford over the summer where they're going to be deploying, you know, these autonomous fleets. And, and they're not in that business anymore, but that's a great partnership. And that's something that I think should be reflected in the value once they really start rolling that um, out in cities like Miami and Austin over the course of the year. So I just think there's, a, I think it's a cheap stock. And I think they're doing some things um, um, right. And I think the trends, as Tim just said, will start benefiting them as we get past this um, virus in 2022. So, again, the Lyft CEO just telling us here on Fast Money that they're not seeing any impact on bookings from Omicron. And also the CEO thinks that the stock is cheap at these levels. The stock is up 2 percent on the back of that. Coming up, shoulda, coulda, woulda. We are diving into some of Kathy Wood's top picks to find out if any of our traders are betting on these names. And later, Lennar building up some major gains after a big upgrade at Goldman Sachs. I'll tell you what had analysts so bullish on this stock. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. ARK Invest buys the Twitter dip, scooping up more than a million shares after Jack Dorsey departs as CEO. Kathy Wood joined CNBC for a pro talk earlier today where she explained why she is bullish on the social stock and its new management. We like, under his leadership, what they're doing from a monetization point of view. We also love uh, Twitter's positioning as a verification platform uh, because we think that's going to become huge with NFTs. Uh, the verification is what's going to make NFTs value, valuable. For that full interview, you can head on over to cnbc.com slash pro. So this got us thinking, how should you trade some of ARK Invest stock picks? So we are playing a little game called would or would not a cousin to the old, good old-fashioned uh, 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 game of uh, uh, traded or faded, of course. So we kick nice. things off with Twitter. Guy, yeah. would or would not Brilliant game. The crack staff back in EC, top of their game. Uh, would. Absolutely would. Now, with that said, Mel, I would have said would $10 ago. And today it made a 52-week low, I think $42.80. I mean, the stock does not trade well, clearly. I think we've talked about that for a while. But, you know, you have Elliott Management sort of uh, kicking the – well, not kicking the tires, making comments, I should say. There are a lot of things to like here about Twitter, and they do report in early February – I think the stock has gotten too cheap. I think it was uninspired choice for CEO, but that's exactly why you should probably own it, and we alluded to that earlier this week. Karen, how about you? Would or would not Twitter? Twitter would not. But, I mean, to be fair, the whole ARC thing, I have this other thought of interest rates going higher, high multiple things going lower. So would not and I would rather Facebook. I know I just snuck that in there, but 
yeah, you sort of melded <laughs> the wood or would not, and then would you rather? I mean, I, I'll yeah, let it go. Would you, would I'll let you that rather? Go. Yeah. All right, okay. thank you. Um, next up, Robinhood. <laughs> Kathy Wood saying it has a shot at becoming one of the most important digital wallets of the world. So, Dan, would or would not? Yeah, right here, I would not. Um, and I don't disagree with what she's saying about it's an important wallet for lots of different assets, and they're positioned probably pretty well with that demographic. I just don't find what they're doing right now to be particularly compelling. And Mel, you know, here's something near and dear to your heart. I don't know if you saw some of those AMC and the game stock that got absolutely creamed today here. So a lot of the stocks at the Robinhood players, they haven't really been through a meaningful correction just yet or a prolonged one and that could really weigh on their assets under management and their accounts and that sort of thing so i think this thing needs to probably have a really big capitulation and then i would at some point there's a value for this thing yeah amc was down 16 percent today although hashtag amc not leaving is in fact trending on twitter right now um tim <laughs> would or would not robin hood yeah you know look i i, I would robin hood and, and I think it's a case of, first of all, I, I think they had their capitulation. I mean, this, you can't tell me this stock hasn't been taken uh, down hard. Let's put it that way. And, and I think you've got a case here. Um, Kathy talks about the digital wallet dynamic. How, how about just, you know, the, the platform, how sticky it is, the interface, how popular it is. And yes, I think the, 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 the AMC Reddit crowd is often seen as the Robin Hood crowd. And then sometimes uh, they're not distinguishable. Sometimes they, they shouldn't be. I, I just think this is such a loyal... And, and, and popular and important demographic that people want to own and folks that are going to be very, very much involved in this platform for a long time. Like I, I was testing uh, my, my wood uh, on the way in somewhere five bucks higher uh, in options and it's been painful, although again, limited downside. Testing your wood? You mean <laughs> Robin Hood? I just said, I, you tell me Mel, I, I just said I would, so I was testing my wood. Okay, yeah. I'm going to move on. Uh, Teladoc, let's uh, just move on. <laughs> Kathy Wood saying it is going to become the backbone of U.S. healthcare. So would or would you not buy this one, Tim? I would. Uh, again, I, I think it's a case here where this is a data play. This is obviously, uh, in some sense, where we've seen other companies try and fail. Uh, the valuation, not terribly interesting. The pullback, extraordinary. This is a long-term play. Uh, I, you know, I'm not typically one that chases the growth multiple, but I think this is a company that's very well positioned in a space that is, this isn't just uh, a COVID pull forward. I mean, this is a secular trend very much in their favor. Guy, would or would not? I would have changed the sound effects to Tim Burr for what I'm about to say, which is would not. And this stock is a money-losing machine now for quite some time. Uh, growth is slowing. It's been taken out to the wood shed. Would not. All right. And uh, just a reminder, you can watch our full pro talk with ARK Invest Kathy Wood on demand. Just go to CNBC.com slash pro. You can play your own game of would or would not. Uh, coming up, shares of Lennar heading higher. We'll tell you about the big bullish streak call that sent this stock rallying. Plus, Apple failing to hold on to today's gains, but it is still up more than or just about 5% this week. One option trader sees even more gains ahead. We're breaking down the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Lennar topping the tape today. The stock rallying more than 3% on the back of a bullish note by Goldman Sachs. The firm upgrading the stock to a buy, citing the company's focus on large entry-level communities as well as easing supply constraints. Karen, do you like Lennar? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I like the space in general. I like that was an interesting piece talking about them spinning off some of their non-core assets to be able to get a better ROE and having these larger communities. They think they can lower their SG&A, so we see a better margin. It's not crazy expensive at all. So I like Lennar. I like the whole space. I do own Home Depot and Lowe's as more of the related play, but I like this call. All right. Coming up, Apple's gains this week have caught the eyes of some options. Traders will tell you how they're playing the move next. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Unity. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the info on your screen. All right, check out Apple dipping into the red in, in the close. Um, to close out today's session, off but still outperforming the broader sectors, tech sold off yet again. Despite the drop, one options whale is betting more than a million dollars that Apple is headed higher. Tony Zhang joins us now to break down the action. Hey, Tony. Hey, Melissa. That's exactly right. Apple is very active today. Almost 3.7 million contracts traded today, which is more than three times the average daily volume. In one particular trade, 3,042 contracts of the December 10th, 167.5 call options were purchased for about $4.43 earlier today. And just to put that trade into context, that's about a $1.3 million in premium being put on the line to bet that Apple will be above $172 by next Friday. So that's a fairly bold, short-term bullish bet here that it, you know for Apple in what is arguably a fairly challenging market. Yep. Tony, thanks. Tony Zhang. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, Walgreens boots being treated like a COVID sufferer here. Less than, less than 10 times earnings. Stocks very inexpensive here. Like it. Karen. Yes, I love Mr. Zimmer. That was great. I like Lyft. I mean, I'm looking also, it's been down 14 in the last 15 days. Come on. Lift. It's at 40 right now, up 4.5%. Dan. Come on, Mel. Um, American Express, <laughs> 190 to 150 in five weeks. Come on. That's a little overdone. <laughs> Guy. Given the thematic of the show, my final trade should be Pfizer, but it's not. It'll be Bristol Myers, which was actually up today, BMY day two. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.